Father, we praise you. We glorify you. You're amazing. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that uh, your kingdom would come and more of your will would be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, that we, as your church, would participate fully in your kingdom work here on earth. Lord, we love you. We praise your holy name. You're good. Amen. Like I said, my name is Nathan, and uh, there's two important things you got to know about me if you're going to get to know me. Number one, the living Jesus has radically transformed my life. If it wasn't for the living Jesus, I would not be standing in front of you here today. I would not be a pastor. I would not be a missionary. None of those things would be true for me. Jesus radically turned my life upside down. And the second important thing to know about me is that I'm married to my lovely wife, Taylor. Just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary. Woo! That was awesome. And uh, yeah, five years. Uh, praise the Lord for her. She is a gift from God. And uh, let me tell you what, she's the bee's knees, the cat's meow, all that in the back chips. I love my wife. And uh, she is awesome. Uh, some of you may know this, but part of my calling is to carry the gospel around the world. And uh, part of this calling has compelled me to various different places. Um, including Tanzania and East Africa. And while I was there, uh, I've been there like, I can't even remember how many times, I think like 10, I've been there like 10 times, and I, I'm friends with this man named Siguazi, which uh, translated from the local language means lion. And uh, Siguazi is an artsy guy, uh, he can, he's musical. He can hear a phrase or a, a sticky statement or a scripture and in just a few minutes can take that and with a melody and a harmony and all the words and everything can turn it into a song. And one of my favorites that he, he started singing a couple years ago uh, is from Ephesians chapter 5. It goes like this. Amka, amka wewe, usinzia ye te na ufufu ke kati kawafu. I know I'm not as good as Hector at singing, but <laughs> it, what, here's what it means. It means, awake, O sleeper, arise, and Christ will shine his light on you. Like I said, it's out of Ephesians chapter 5, so if you wouldn't mind flipping with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be coming back to it in a couple of minutes. Uh, just put your finger in there. We're going to be spending a bunch of time in Ephesians today, so if you have it on your phone or, or if you have a hard copy Bible, go ahead and find it. While you're getting there, uh, I've been hearing this phrase a lot lately, wake up. Wake up. I don't know, maybe you guys have seen those in posts on social media or things like that. This, this idea that, that people are saying, hey, are you awake yet? We need to wake up. Wake up. And I'm not here to unleash any kind of can of worms, politically speaking. So we're not going to get into the specifics of what people are saying we're asleep for. But in general, the idea behind this phrase, wake up, is that somehow we've fallen asleep. Somehow we've been lulled into this false sense of security or we've been deceived by something. And, and, and the people, are say, people who are saying, wake up, are saying, hey, hey, you need to wake up. You need to look around. Take note of what's going on around you and do something about it. It's a call to action, right? Uh, I, I, I remember not too long ago I was reading a post on Facebook and I was scrolling through and I got to this long post by one of my friends and I began to read through it and got to the end of the post and there it was, that phrase, are you awake yet? You need to wake up. And uh, I found it 
really compelling. It's this super compelling call to action because even though I didn't agree at all with their post, there was still something in me that said, I need to do something. I need to take action. I think the reason why is because I hate this idea that maybe I missed something. I hate this idea that I've been lulled into this false sense of security or that I've been deceived by something. I hate the idea that the life I'm living isn't looking at the truth. I, I'm obsessed with the truth. I, I want the truth to shine brightly for everybody to see. And, and the fact that I might be asleep, that I might be deceived, that my eyes have been shielded from the truth, that, that's a problem for me. I think this is why when I was a little kid, I hated taking naps. Because, you know, like, it's a Sunday afternoon, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever in the winter, and you kind of fall asleep, and you wake up, and it, should, it feels like just a few minutes to you, but all of a sudden it's been three hours, and it's dark outside, and it's time for dinner, and you're all woozy, and you have to stand up and go sit at the dinner table, and, oh, I hated this idea that I had missed something in the day. I hated this idea that maybe something exciting or entertaining or, or fun had happened in the day, and I, I missed out on it. At a general level, I think all of us hate this idea that somehow we've been lulled to sleep. I don't think any of us particularly enjoy the idea that we've been deceived or that we've missed something. That's what, make the, what makes these words from Paul so interesting in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Here's what he says. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather... Expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, and uh, the best way to understand what's going on in this passage is to understand what's going on in the whole book of Ephesians. So, as you guys know, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul as a letter to the Christians living in Ephesus. And Ephesus was famous for two reasons. Reason number one, they were this very wealthy port city in the time of Paul. Uh, since then, the, part of the ocean around them has filled up with silt, so it's not a port city anymore, but it used to be. And the second reason is because one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was in Ephesus. You, would, you know the story out of Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul shows up in Ephesus, and there's this conflict between him and the makers of the idol of Artemis. Because the temple of Artemis, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, was in Ephesus. And you guys know the, the scene, the, the, the city is chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, while Paul is almost being trampled by all of them. You guys know the story. So that's what's going on in Ephesus. And at a general level, Paul is doing two things with this book. In the first three chapters, he's explaining to us the gospel. Uh, he's saying, hey, you guys were outsiders at one point. You, you weren't part of the family, but now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can be part of the family. You can be grafted in that famous passage that we as Protestants point to and love. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you have been saved by... Good. <laughs> for you have been saved by grace... 
for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not by your own. See, I messed it up. Uh, that's my bad. That's why everybody was confused. <laughs> I got the order of the word wrong. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's this famous passage, and it's potent, right? Uh, this idea that no matter how good you are, no matter how many good things you do, no matter how many days you attend church, no matter how much money you give, no matter how many nice words you say or how sinless you are, there's no way you can earn your way to God. And so he came to us in the person of Jesus, and he took on the penalty that we deserved. And so your salvation is a free gift from God. Praise Jesus. That's amazing news. That's why we call it good news. Because it is. It's great news. You know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a truth that will never change no matter what. No matter, no matter how sin-soiled or no matter how good or wherever you fall on that spectrum, no matter what, your salvation will always be a free gift from God by his grace. Praise the Lord. In the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, Paul is doing something really unique. And I feel that this is the part of the message that many of us often miss. What he does in 4 through 6 is he explains how this life-transforming good news, how this gospel should impact our everyday life. And what he begins to do is he, he begins to, to break down and say, hey, listen, hey, th this, is, this is really, really important. And, 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 and you need to be allowing the gospel to change you. It can get confusing because it is a biblical fact that you are saved by grace, not by works. But then Paul, in the latter half of this Talk, begins to talk about how we need to have works. The gospel doesn't end with salvation. It begins with salvation by grace and continues in transformation. We're called to be a transformed people, a people that look different than the world. And ultimately, this life change, this transformation is necessary and it, it, it necessitates good works. It necessitates holiness. It necessitates obedience. Now, if any of you guys out there are like me, a little red flag went up in your mind just now when I said good works. Good for you. I'm glad it did. Because when you hear the phrase good works from the pulpit, you better make sure that it's matching the scriptures because you're not saved by works. That, that's not what the scriptures tell us. But let's allow Paul's words to speak for themselves. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Whew! Man, Paul doesn't like them, I guess. Like, them fighting words, right? He's, he's saying, hey guys, like, don't be like these people anymore. Put off this old way of doing business. We shouldn't live sinful lives. 
Stop living like the Gentiles and, and, and stop being given over to the desires of your flesh and, and the terrible things that, that are natural, that we naturally tend to do. Then he continues in verse 20. That is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Okay, so I don't always understand why Paul puts so many words together in such a way, but basically he just said, uh, just do what Jesus taught you to do. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's saying that the way of Jesus, Jesus' way, the, the way that we were taught is to put off our old sinful way of doing business and to put on Jesus' new holy way of doing business. It's almost like this permanent change of clothes. So uh, I told you I traveled a lot. When I was uh, 21, I traveled to Africa for three months, and we didn't go with any organization or anything. It was just me and a friend and the Holy Spirit, and we didn't know anything. We made every mistake you could possibly make. One of the mistakes that we made was not doing our laundry. We <laughs> uh, got really gross. So we would put on. A, we brought ten. It was a, like a like we were going to be in the bush for ten weeks. So we brought ten sets of clothes, one for each week. Like, I mean, like the full set, one for each week, and we didn't wash them. So we, we would show up, and we would preach for a week, and then we would take a bucket shower and put on a new set of clothes. And the old set of clothes, I am telling you what, they were grody. Like, it's not just like you're sitting in an office and it's air-conditioned. Like, we're in the bush of Africa. It's like 110 degrees outside. We're cooking meat that we harvested ourselves, like, it's all kind of crazy stuff going on. These clothes are nasty and rank and dirty. One time we showed up in a church, and uh, this church uh, was full of bush people, and they look at the way that we're dressed, and they're like, you guys need to take a shower. You know you're dirty when everybody around you is like, you need to take a shower. <laughs> anyway, that's these, this old set of clothes that we need to remove. This nasty, dirty, despicable, disgusting way of doing life, we need to remove it. We need to put on this fresh set of clothes that Jesus gives us. It's a permanent change of clothes. And it's this very reality that I believe Jesus is calling us to wake up to, or Paul is calling us to wake up to just a few sentences later in Ephesians chapter 5. We have been lulled to sleep, many of us. So many Christians back in Paul's day, some Christians here and now today, and let's be honest, I, I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in this room, but if we just think about the state of the modern church, how many people are living lives that truly honor Jesus? I think they say with their mouth, I'm a follower of Jesus, but with their life, there's no evidence. They don't do anything to reveal that they love Jesus. Nothing. It's a heartbreaking reality, and, and it's a reality where, that we have been falsely led into, that, that we think that it's okay to just live these empty, sinful, 
not pointing towards Jesus, but pointing towards all the rest of the world's lives and saying, we've fallen asleep. We've missed something. We've missed that God's grace is not a reason to just go on sinning. Paul says that here in Ephesians, but also in the Romans and other places. God's grace is a free gift, and it, 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 it's his salvation for you and his love for you, and it, it, it's amazing. It, it, his grace for you is amazing, but in response to his grace, he calls us to something more. And it's almost as if, 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 if we understand the whole gospel as what Jesus did for us and then our response to him, it's almost like we cut the gospel off in the middle. And it's like, I love what Jesus did for me, but this, this idea that I need to do something for him, I don't know about that. Keep that away from me. We have to wake up. Paul addresses this very thing in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Following Jesus means becoming an imitator of God. But so many of us say we follow Jesus with our words, but with our actions, no evidence at all. I, I, I resonate with Paul's call, wake up! I get what I was saying. I find myself longing and, and desiring to say that to the, to the modern church. Wake up, guys! Wake up! We've missed it. We've missed the news. We've, we've missed that Jesus is calling us to something more than just living like the rest of the world does. You can look at the statistics. I didn't look them up for this message, but you can look up the statistics. Our... When it comes to, like, our marriages, our marriages are, are not lasting any longer than the marriages in the world. When it comes to premarital sex, the, the, the kids that grew up in church are having just as much as kids who didn't grow up in the church. When it comes to how much we give, guys, generosity is a core principle of Christianity. Whether you give here to your church or somewhere else, I, generosity is a core principle of Christianity. Guess how many of my generation of millennials give at least 10% of their income? Christian millennials give 10% of their income. 1% of Christian millennials give 10% of their income or more. When it gets to elders, it only increases to 7%. Somehow we've missed generosity. We need to wake up. In way too many cases, we've allowed ourselves to be lulled to sleep by the gentle sounds of, oh, you're saved by grace. Yes, but that shouldn't compel us to sleep. It should compel us to arise, to wake up, to rise from the dead and live lives that honor Jesus. When we don't, it's destructive, it's damaging, it, and it's not God's will. It's personally destructive to us because I believe that when we don't honor God's commands, we miss out on the inherent blessing of following his commands. It, we sometimes think of God's commands as like God's a big meaning in the sky and he's telling us to do these things just because he wants to make life not fun. And that's not true. You guys know that. The commands of Jesus are there so that you can live a, a wholesome, healthy, good life. 
There's inherent blessing. Think about it this way. When you love your neighbor, there's a blessing that happens there. Just because you now have a new friend in the world. There's peace. There's camaraderie. There's, there's an opportunity to serve. There's an opportunity to proclaim the good news. There's this natural blessing that happens as a result of getting up close, uh, 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 of obeying Jesus' command to, to love your neighbor. Or when, when you choose to, to uh, live a life of generosity, there's this, uh, those of you who are generous, you know, there's this joy that wells up inside of you that you can't even explain as you watch as God uses your gift to impact the lives of others and, and to see his kingdom advance. Like, there's this, like, you can't even explain it kind of excitement. Like, I got to be a part of what's happening right there in that part of the world or what's going on in this church or, or what's happening with that individual in their life. I, I saw their life change because I got to be generous and invest. There's this blessing in obeying the commands of God and when and we, we miss out on that blessing when we don't obey him. The second thing is that when we don't obey God's commands, we, we end up hurting our, our witness to the world. The number one I, complaint I hear about Christians from non-Christians is our hypocrisy. You guys preach one thing and then do another. And yeah, are Christians perfect? Of course not. I've yet to meet a perfect Christian. If you guys ever meet one, please give them my phone number. I would love to meet them as well. Uh, I don't think you will, though. I have yet to meet a perfect Christian. We're going to make mistakes, but there's a way different, it's way different to, to honor God and, and, and desire to live a life that honors Him and mess up every once in a while versus just blatantly disregarding all of Jesus' commands, as many of us often do. saying, there is nothing different between my atheist neighbor and you, and that is a really big problem. In addition to this, obedience is a natural outflow of the gospel. I've been transformed by Jesus. Now, I obey his commands. It's just, this is how it's always been designed to work. That's the flow of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here's the gospel. Here's how you live it out. And finally, <laughs> the, the most significant reason to me that it's important to, to do this is because of what it says in John 14, 15. Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. My obedience to Jesus reveals my love for him. His love for me is unconditional. He loved me when I was yet still a sinner. Romans 5, 8. We all know that famous scripture, right? But my love for him is revealed when I say, Jesus, you're more important than this desire in me to sin in this way, to disrespect my parents, to, you know commit adultery in my heart, or to, I mean, you just, whatever sin. I reveal my love for him when I say, Jesus, you're more important. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to honor you with everything. This is what the core of the passage today is telling us to do. Wake up 
No longer live like the rest of the world. Live lives that honor God in thought and in word and in action. And, and I don't think it's exaggerating to say that we really are asleep. Claiming to follow Jesus with our words, but with our actions, no evidence at all. Let's wake up. Let's not be lulled to sleep. Let's not be lulled into complacency and excuses. There's no good reason. <laughs> I actually, I wrote down a list of all the reasons that we might have to sin, but none of them are good. There's a long list of reasons why we, why we want to sin, but none of them are good reasons. They're, they're all just terrible reasons. They're, they're things like, well, I really wanted to. Well, it's comfortable. Well, it's easy. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, you know, they're mean to me, so I can be mean to them back. Well, you know, you know, I'm just always going to be a grumpy old man. That's who I am. That's my identity. You know, people can live with it. Or, you know, I'm going to stop investing in this difficult marriage. My, my spouse has stopped investing in this marriage. They clearly don't have love and affection for me, so I'm going to stop investing too. It's, it's okay to just be roommates. Or, I'm not going to live generously. Or, I'm not... I'm not going to put Jesus first in how I communicate with people or when it comes to how I identify myself, I'm going to identify myself as a political party rather than as a follower of Jesus. There's all kinds of reasons, but none of them are, are good reasons. So what does it look like to wake up? Here's what Paul says. He gives us a whole list beginning in chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. He, right after that, that passage of changing your clothes, here's what he says. Verse 425. Take off falsehood and lying. Okay. We, this is one of Ten Commandments. Don't lie. We're, we're all aware of the damaging effects of lying. Even in marriage, I've discovered that even little white lies, like ways that you were just trying to be gentle, can turn around and, and become destructive. I'm not advocating for harsh but I am advocating for the truth and gentleness. Verse 26, take off anger. Ooh, anger's a hard one, huh? We look at Jesus, we're like, well, Jesus got angry. Well, Paul clarifies that there's anger that leads to sin and there's anger that doesn't lead to sin. So take off the anger that leads to sin. When we harbor anger in our heart, I'm sure you guys have all noticed this. When you harbor anger in your heart, it just becomes division and bitterness and resentment, right? My mom did something that offends me, and I'm angry at her, and instead of going to her like the scriptures say and, and seeking to figure this out, I just harbor it in my heart, and this, this becomes division. All of a sudden, my relationship with her is broken off, and resentment, I don't like her, and when she does certain things, it, sorry, this is a millennial word, it triggers me <laughs> into, into having some kind of emotional reaction and, 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 and yeah, I, I, and I resent her because of what she did. And she never apologized. Did you know she never apologized? All of a sudden, there's a broken relationship. And what could have been solved by me just going and saying, hey, mom, this really hurt my feelings. And her saying, oh, wow, yeah, forgive me. All of a sudden, it's a broken relationship. Stop stealing. Start working for an honest wage. Now, many of us don't really associate with the idea of being a thief, but really think about it. 
Have you ever taken more than you were supposed to? Have you ever thought to yourself, well, they're a big multinational conglomerate. Like, they just, like, they won't miss it. Don't be thieves. When I was growing up, my dad, when he was teaching me about integrity, he gave me this really good question. He said, Nathan, how much is your word worth? Is it worth the $15 that you would spend on a movie ticket instead of movie instead of sneaking in the back door? And I've always had to say, no, 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 my word, my, word, my, my, my integrity is worth more than $15 for a movie ticket. <laughs> my integrity is worth more than, than taking an extra piece when I was only supposed to take one. My integrity is worth more than that. And even though everybody else does it, I'm not going to do it because my integrity is worth more than that. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now this one in particular, it can kind of feel vague. Like, what does he mean by corrupting talk? Well, the second half of the verse, only what's good for building others up. So maybe this is using offensive language. Maybe you, you walk in a circle where it's okay to use a few cuss words, but then you go to a different circle where it's not okay to use cuss words, and you're using cuss words there. Like, that's a problem, because you're causing your brother or sister to stumble. Or maybe you love to gossip. Us Christians, man, for whatever reason, gossip is something we love to do. Gossip is poison. It is poison. You guys have seen it in your life. I think gossip is a one-way ticket to a broken relationship. Talking about someone else behind their back, whining about them, it's poison. Many of us know, many of us know the consequences to these sins. Verse 4 of 31, or chapter 4, 31 to 32, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear those words and you're like, what do those even mean? So I looked them up. Here's what bitterness means. Anger and disappointment at being, being treated unfairly, resentment. Wrath is extreme anger, clamor, making a vehement protest or demand, slander, the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation, malice, the intention or desire to do evil, ill will. All of these are super harmful. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 3, put away sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is when a sexual event happens outside of the strict biblical concept of sexuality. So when sexuality happens outside of the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife. Put away covetousness and put on thankfulness. Oh, how we need to hear that one in this season, right? Christmas is the time for Taking what's mine. <laughs> ah, I want that. It's mine. I deserve it. Oh, that's one of the phrases that I've got the most trouble with. I deserve that. Covetousness. When we're thankful for what we have instead of coveting what others have, something changes in our minds, right? All of a sudden, we go from being go from longing after what other people have to saying what I have is enough 
and I'm really glad that I have it. Thankfulness has this ability to literally change our minds. It's awesome. It's not an all-encompassing list. There's a lot of things uh, that are not on this list, but in general, the idea is clear. Jesus' words, Jesus' call on our lives is to wake up and live lives that honor him, live lives of holiness. You are saved by grace. Praise Jesus. Your response to this grace is to live lives that reveal your love for Jesus. This is our call as Christians, not to live self-obsessed, self-gratifying, all-about-me lives, but to wake up and live a life that, that points to Jesus and says, you're the king of everything, every moment, every breath, every, everything, everything I am is yours. You're the king, and that's the life that I want to live. Just consider with me for a brief moment what the impact would be of a bunch of us Christians actually living like Jesus did. How amazing would our world be? How cool would it be to, to walk down the street and see the impact of, of, of people living with Jesus on the forefront of their minds? And imagine the difference that could happen if more of us honor Jesus in this way. It makes me excited to think about it. Father, we praise you, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit, and we thank you that uh, you've empowered us to live these lives of holiness, and we pray that we would. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength that you give us the focus, the endurance, the, the courage, the, 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 the stick-to-itiveness <laughs> to, to get the job done. Father, we know that it's only in our relationship with you, only in this transforming, grace-filled opportunity to get up close to you that, that we can even begin to see our lives have holiness in them. So, Lord, I pray that we would have these up-close, intimate lives with you, that, that in this intimacy you would begin to change us from the inside out, that you would take these hearts of stone and make them into hearts of flesh, and that they would beat, and, and that the fruits of the Spirit would be would be fast in us, like, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that, that those things would just flow from us into the world around us, and, and that the world would be a different place, that our neighborhoods would be a different place, that our families would be a different place because of the transforming power of you inside of us to make us new people, taking off that old self and putting on the new self. Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we praise you. You're good. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you.